Hello and welcome to the Compassionate Leadership Interview. I'm Chris Whited and my guest today is Professor Donna Hall, CBE, Chair of Bolton NHS Foundation Trust. Also Integrated Care System Advisor to NHS England, Chair of the New Local Government Network Think Tank, Professor of Politics at Manchester University and former Wigan Chief Executive. You can find Donna on Twitter at Prof Donna Hall. Donna. Welcome. Hi, Chris. Donna, you've had a long and interesting journey to your current role. Would you like to tell us about it? Yeah, so I, um, uh, going back in time, I, I did politics and English um, at University of Leeds. Brilliant place. I didn't really know what, what I wanted to do and kind of drifted in to working in Leeds City Council. I had a brilliant time there and, and, and kind of have never looked back, really. I, I um, started off in human resources, funnily enough, in the sickness and disciplinary office I don't think it'd be called that now it'd be something like attendance management or some something like that yeah that was back in the 1985 and ever since then I've kind of worked in different roles in local government I've also worked briefly in the private sector and in um, in the community and voluntary sector as well so yeah I've worked in my most recent role was Wigan as you say eight years there where we created the Wigan deal prior to that I worked at Chorley I was chief executive there and we created something there called the Chorley Smile, which was a bit of a prototype, really, for the deal. And prior to that, I was at Blackburn with Darwin, and before that, at Salford City Council. So always in the north of England, and uh, mainly in local government. You have been awarded a CBE for Innovation in Public Services. Was that in connection with the deal, which I believe saved the council £160 million since its inception? I got the CBA actually before I started at Wigan. Um, so I got that for work I'd done on um, customer services uh, nationally around the Tell Us Once uh, uh. program, yeah, which was the DWP Tell Us Once program. So I was nominated by somebody who worked on that team for trying to push forward integration around a, a single point of contact when somebody's died. So rather than having to tell lots of different agencies I worked on as part of the brilliant team in the DWP that helped to bring that together. So that's why I got the CBE for Innovation in Public Services. That was 2009. But since then, yeah, the deal, the deal kind of really started in 2011. And we, yeah, we had a, a big financial saving to make. So uh, 160 million, as you say, Chris, over a, a kind of eight year period. So we were the third worst proportionately affected council in the whole of the UK. And um, the Institute of Fiscal Studies told us that back in 2011. So Lord Peter Smith, the members of the council and the management team worked really closely together to try to find a way through this terrible situation. We knew we couldn't just do salami slicing cuts year after year. We knew we had to radically reform our whole role within the Wigan community. And Wigan's quite a large council. It's the ninth largest metropolitan council in the in the UK. So we had to kind of re redraw the social contract between citizen and state 
And that's what the deal is about. It's a kind of, we'll do this if you do this, a kind of brokering of a completely different relationship between public services and residents. So that was the backdrop to it. We, We managed to improve a lot of our outcomes, most of all of our outcomes actually, over that time period, because we, we focused on prevention, We were the best council to work for, according to surveys that our staff completed. We did lots of radical workforce reform. We focused on attitudes and behaviours of everyone who worked in the organisation, and we invested in communities. So we invested altogether over 10 million, around between 12 and 13 million in community projects, very grassroots community projects that helped to build community resilience and invest in prevention. And as a result of that, one of the outcomes that is often kind of quoted is we managed to improve healthy life expectancy. So that's not just life expectancy, but years of healthy life by seven years in the most deprived parts of the borough. So it was a whole system approach and we stuck with it over a long time period. And organisations like the King's Fund and others who've evaluated its success have said it was mainly down to one thing, which was constancy of purpose. So we were really clear with residents in very, very simple communications that we, we stuck at, that this was the new future and we were in it together. We had to work together to get through the worst of austerity. And in return, council tax was frozen for a period of eight years the general fund element of it, which is, I think, the only council that's done that so far. Last month, you presented at the NHS England Leading Change with People and Communities conference, which was a sellout in both Manchester and London. Do you believe that we're on the cusp of a public service revolution in the UK? I do think we are, Chris. I think, um, obviously, we're in the middle of a, a terrible pandemic situation at the moment. And I think this is the time where we start to really evaluate the whole role of communities and the whole role of public services working together in the place. You can see now the brilliant response we've had from communities connecting with each other during this during this crisis. Um, and obviously the really vital role of public servants working with those communities differently. So the think tank that I chair, the new local government network, and I, I kind of do that in my own time because I really believe in this stuff. Um, this is a real revolution that we've started now. We're working with around 70 of, I think, the most progressive councils and shortly our, our first NHS trust as well to kind of really drive through whole place, the whole system transformation to develop this new thing that we've, we've called a community paradigm. So we've had the um, estate paradigm since the 1940s when the uh, welfare state was created. And then we moved into, which is very transactional, very top down, but was good. You know, it was a safety net for people, but things like social care weren't funded because Beveridge, who wrote the, the report, kind of thought that women would do that and women did used to do it for free in the 1940s but we've never kind of addressed that uh, systemic underfunding of social care and that's what we're struggling with now so in the 80s which I'm old enough to remember we did lots of outsourcing and we had the the market paradigm that kind of supplemented the, the, the deficits in the state state paradigm but what we're kind of calling for along with our network and members is a new community paradigm which shifts power back to communities gives people much more of a say much more of a a kind of democratic overview of stuff that's happening in their local area taking control of assets running community organizations and really getting back to the basics of what public services are about so wigan was in the vanguard and now 70 other councils have joined in 
Is there a common denominator between the councils that are engaging with the community paradigm? Yeah, I think they're all different political uh, colours. So this isn't um, just a, a Labour or a left-wing socialist thing. It's And we've got some great support from Conservative-run councils and also from some recently elected MPs who are Conservative who really get the need for a new community paradigm this is not just the domain of 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 socialists this is everyone it's just common sense for us and yeah we're just starting to get the nhs so people like chris ham who obviously was chief executive of the king's fund the king's fund themselves they're starting to look at some of the thinking of um, the economist eleanor ostrom so she was the first woman to ever win a nobel prize in 2009 for her different way of thinking about communities and the stewardship of resources of limited resources within a place so we built this thinking very much on the the brilliant international research of, of Eleanor Ostrom and uh, you know it's it's been tried in other countries it was it's been tried here obviously it was piloted in Wigan with great success and what amazes me is people don't just do this everywhere I can't understand why they don't it does take a different type of leadership both political and managerial because it is very different to the rules-based state system that we've kind of been running for the, you know, since the 1940s. It does require a shaking up of the rules and giving staff on the front line and residents working in communities the permission to innovate and to do very, very different things within their localities. And it requires brave frontline staff who, you know, they're, they're not hiding behind a clipboard. They're connecting with the residents in a very different way, having different conversations, human-to-human conversations, helping to support them to live their best possible lives. So for us, it started in Wigan in adult social care. But the difference in Wigan was that we drove it through the whole organisation. So rather than it just being a project or a programme in a locality, a pilot, we just made it the way that we worked with our residents every single day of the year. You're making it sound deceptively easy. We're talking about changing the mindset of every last council employee, aren't we? We had some fantastic people, bright young people, who worked in our human resources team. And um, as I said before, my background is human resources and organisational development and and strategy, really. And so we tried to blend the two things together and and some brilliant graduates in our HR team developed this thing called the Be Wigan Experience, which cost hardly anything to do. It's won all sorts of awards, HR awards since then, but it was um, initially just for council staff, but then it became a wider experience for all public servants working in Wigan. So police officers, GPs, staff from the hospital, staff from housing organisations, they all went on it. People from the DWP went on it. And it was around half a day where people would be hosted by other frontline staff and they would talk about values and how to work differently and to connect differently with communities to not think you can fix them like they're a little unit of need and you're, you know, the great big heroic public servant coming in to fix them with your set of social prescriptions and everything else that you can, you've got in your array. But you've actually got a way of connecting them into the brilliant grassroots community projects that we funded through the 13 million that's been put into community and voluntary sector projects, the Community Investment Fund. So the values that we have and had were around being positive, being accountable, being courageous, and more recently being kind. So those four values kind of underpin the way that everyone works in the place. And it's been quite challenging because some of the national inspection frameworks don't kind of recognise 
whole system working. So one of the things that's just happened as a result of the coronavirus is the hospital that I chair, Bolton, has just had uh, Freedom's release uh, in terms of their financial targets for next financial year to allow us to focus on the, the pandemic and our response. But that hasn't yet applied to social care in, in Bolton. It hasn't yet applied to public health in Bolton or other elements of the system. And we know, don't we, that the crisis sometimes in hospitals is as a result of cuts that have been made to social care over the years. So Absolutely. it shouldn't be, yeah, it shouldn't be um, an organisational funding response. It should be a system in a place working together funding response which you know maybe through our strategic transformation partnerships we should start to really drive that message home and there was a brilliant article in this week's health service journal about Eleanor Ostrom and applying her thinking to the STPs which I thought brilliant <laughs> you know people the NHS has started to get this new way of working because it is so relevant for our new health economy. You've worked closely with the health service before, but is chair at Bolton your first NHS appointment? Yes, it is. Oh, no, sorry, it's not. I was um, the accountable officer at Wigan Clinical Commissioning Group as well before I left. So I, I managed both the, the CCG and the, and, the host, and, the, and the council. But yeah, I'm chair at, at Bolton. So it's my first kind of gig being a chair, which is interesting. I wanted to be a chairwoman, but they wouldn't let me. I think it's just I can, I've managed to make it chair, not chairman. But I'm, <laughs> but yeah, I'm really enjoying it here. It's my hometown, and uh, I love I love Bolton. And how does the NHS compare to the local authority environment that you're familiar with? I think we're dealing with very very similar issues, Chris. You know, we're all dealing with the same people. Our issue is we tend to have fractured public services that don't work together around the person and the family. So um, I'm I'm finding it quite. It's a different culture because there's a lot more command and control from NHS England in local government you've got a lot more freedom and flexibility to kind of do your own thing you know to transform things but obviously in the NHS you've got very clear guidance about how many different types of people you need on wards you've got you know very very clear uh, monitoring around so for example we've been out testing how much oxygen we've got following some national uh, monitoring that we need to feed in as part of the coronavirus it's, it isn't quite the same in local government but we are all public servants we've all got that same mindset that we've got into into this world to help people and um, you know I, I am amazed every single day when I meet the staff who work here my sister's a midwife here so I know what it's like from the, the cold face and you know I can read you can read all the reports but there's nothing quite like talking to staff is there to find out what's really going on and people work so hard with limited resources to do the best that they can within the the hierarchy and the bureaucracies of the existing system to wrap everything around patients so it's different but it's the same if that makes sense complete sense Donna so how do you see the significant challenges and opportunities in your role as chair at Bolton? The challenges are obviously we've got limited funding, we've got um, an estate that is in desperate need of investment, you know we're, we're operating parts of our operation are in Victorian buildings and they need, you know, we need a, a big injection of capital to make it work. But having said that, we want to be a smaller hospital. We know that really we want to put more resource and effort into our community wing because we have community services as part of our FT as well. So we want to invest in, in beds in people's own homes, in supporting them to be at home, to be safe and well. We want to focus our efforts on prevention. 
So the most exciting bit for me is our new strategy is around for a better Bolton, which is a system strategy, which is focusing on keeping people well, keeping people out of hospital as much as we can, uh, focusing on good health, on physical activity, on addressing some of the wider determinants of health that's really important for us as an FT and also our role as an anchor institution within Bolton so making sure we contribute to the social value in Bolton by employing local people by making sure we spend our Bolton pound in Bolton and by making sure as the biggest employer in the place that we are a good employer that we're a caring employer and that we look after our people. Sounds as if your system's perspective is going to be as useful as ever. Can you tell me something about your role as Integrated Care System Advisor to NHS England? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm employed by NHS England to go out to speak and to work with, intensively work with other integrated care systems and strategic transformation partnerships up and down the country. Those who might need a little bit of a help or advice. And I think because I've, I've worked across local government, CCGs and FTs. I know the world of each world is kind of has different rules that govern it, but we're all trying to do the same thing. So it's really, really varied. I've also been doing some facilitating some away day sessions for NHS England and their board, which has been fascinating actually to try to tell them and talk to them about the Wigan deal, to talk to them about uh, the community paradigm and to get their thinking broader than just a very narrow NHS world you know we, we, this is about the totality of public services working together in neighborhoods and how we can do things like risk stratify the population find out you know who's likely to come into hospital for an unplanned hospital admission before they before they pitch up at A&E and work preventatively with the whole system wrapped around them it's definitely the future and uh, you know it's really exciting that the NHS colleagues are starting to get this new community paradigm do you think that the NHS as an organisation has something to learn from the restructuring, delayering and self-managing teams that you brought in at Wigan? Or do you think that hierarchy is an inevitable feature of the healthcare system? I think um, obviously local government had austerity around 10 years before it really hit the NHS. So we've learned a lot in those 10 years about doing the things that really matter and focusing on, on prioritisation. And so lots of things that we stopped doing or that we disinvested in, we actually found they weren't having the impact uh, for, the, for the cost that we're putting into them. So, yeah, we, we delayed the, the management within, within the council. We had much flatter structures. We did a lot more listening to staff and empowering staff on the front line to do the right thing. And that really did have a, make, a, make a massive difference. When we were restructuring, we made sure we appointed people, not just on their technical ability, but on their attitude and their behaviour and their ability to empathise with residents and to, to believe in them and to trust community groups to just get on with it rather than obsessively monitoring them and feeling that they were in charge of the situation. So a completely different mindset. We used anthropology a lot to redesign our, we had toolkits to help people get through as well as the Be Wigan experience, but different conversation toolkits that help people so yeah I think there's a lot of learning there for NHS colleagues and people are very very interested in in the Wigan deal so I think the King's Fund report if your listeners get a chance to have a read of it it tells you basically how we did it and um, it does recommend that it is used as a as a template for the NHS nationally really and within an STP context so there's lots of learning out there I can really recommend the King's Fund report I could really recommend reading Radical Help for those who haven't read 
radical yeah, help Hillary Cotton. Hillary Cotton, yeah. Um, and Hillary would be a good guest for your podcast as well, Chris. She's amazing. But she worked with us in Wigan and helped us identify, you know, some of the system barriers, the systemic barriers where we were spending something like 80% of our time on families that were at the, in the real, really on the edge of crisis, tipping in, you know, children about to be taken into care. And really she identified that we were spending 80% of our time on assessing and referring and processing that family through a very fractured system. So everyone was approaching the family from the lens of their own particular discipline. Housing officers were enforcing non-payment of rent and usually about to evict the family. We had social workers all trying the best to look after the child within the family usually and follow the, the Ofsted and the safeguarding guidance. We had criminal justice people interacting, but going down a, a punitive route of, of uh, sentencing people for children not attending school. But in the end, we were only spending 20% of our time on face-to-face -face relationship building and trying to build on the assets and the strengths in those families. And there were always strengths and assets in those families. So we, we took Hillary's learning, we applied it not just in children's services, but across the whole board, the whole, everything that we did. And, we, and that's where we realised we were wasting a lot of time and effort on processes. And again, I think in the NHS, we've got a very illness focused, um, you know, separate disciplines focused on illnesses rather than a wraparound service. And that's essential. It has to be like that because of the, the way that people are trained in medical school. But I do think that kind of empathetic, asset-based, anthropological, different way of connecting. I think a lot of new medics coming through through the ranks, they get, they get that and they understand the connections there. A lot of GPs working in ICSs and consultants in hospital also see the value of a different type of working with people. Because we can't fix people, you know, we're not magicians. We've got to, it's got to be a partnership. People need to take responsibility for their own health and care. Um, so it does have to be a social contract between patient and clinician. And I would guess that a top-down autocratic style of leadership is not going to be able to deliver such an integrated approach. Would you like to say something now about your personal leadership philosophy, Donna? Yeah, no problem. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not perfect, that would be the first thing to say. And I think humility is one of the most underrated leadership qualities that I've come across the you know uh, the ability to say I'm not perfect I don't know all the answers I'm part of this team and we will work on this um, together on this transformation journey together I, I, I've always been somebody who's tried to create a kind of very relaxed but productive style and culture within an organization or within a team that we focus on people I've also been really, somebody once told me, I hope it's all right to swear, only a slight swear word, but I've got a very good bullshit detector. <laughs> so anyone who, you know, because we get a lot of people who think they're brilliant leaders, but they spout, they talk the talk, but they don't actually translate it into the way they work with their teams, with staff and with residents. So my big kind of mantra is, so what? So what is this strategy we're agreeing or this plan? What does it actually mean for my mum or for... Uh, my sister who works here in the hospital as a member of staff what difference will it make to them and the way that they they live their lives and keep reminding yourself of that um you know the human elements of what we're doing is really important we can kind of become a bit stuck in our own little bubble of what we do and um just trying to get back to the fact that we're all human we're all people is really important for me so um yeah i, I love talent spotting picking up the, the best 
you know, some of the brightest and the best people are our graduates or our new entrants into the system where they're entering into a, a crazy chaotic system with a fresh pair of eyes and they've got a very limited window where we can seize the opportunity to help them to help us shape a new, a new transformed organisational system. And would you consider the Wigan deal your greatest work-related achievement or is there something else? Oh, that's really um, a really good question, Chris. I think the deal has been the thing that's really captured people's imagination. I've got three things I think I think are noteworthy. Uh, one is the deal. I think the second is the community paradigm. I didn't write it. It was written by two amazing academics, Dr. Adam Lent and Jessica Studditz from New Local Government Network. And they are brilliant, brilliant colleagues. But the thinking there has really, really caught on. And it's, uh, it, it really is an amazing piece of work. I think it will shape public services, NHS and council and all public services for many, many generations in the future. And I think the final thing was a very practical thing, which is the thing I got the CBE for, which was the Tell Us Once uh, piece of work, which I worked on with some amazing DWP colleagues as part of the local delivery pilot for the Department of Work and Pensions. But it's, it's made a very practical difference to bereaved people trying to report a death and that's obviously been a national project which is which has stuck and um, at a time when people are really distraught and upset about losing one of their family members or loved one to have to go to different agencies to tell people that you know it's so traumatic so having us having developed this tool has meant that you know people don't have to do that and it's 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 helped so many people and uh, would you like to disclose your biggest mistake Oh, gosh, <laughs> there are so many. I don't know where to start. Yeah, there was once a really awful television programme um, called Don't Blame the Council. Oh, it was awful. My biggest mistake there was trusting people to um, to go down to London and to watch it. And they came back and said, oh, it's brilliant. It's fantastic. There are some, it was all about Wigan's bin collection service. There are some some really positive bits in it, but there's a couple of bits in it where it's not very good. But generally, the overall impression is good. And I trusted those individuals. And then when I uh, watched it along with 14 million other people on TV, it was awful. And I think it was a complete lack of judgment on the part of the people that I trusted. But when you trust people, occasionally people do let you down. But in my experience, they are very, very few and far between those instances. Most people, if you trust them, you get so much more back in return. So I'm not going to change the way that I work and the way that I trust my team. I think uh, people really do work harder when they're trusted. Absolutely. In my leadership days, someone once told me that I trusted people too much. My response was, I can't afford not to trust them. I would lose too much in initiative, creativity and motivation. Absolutely. You're totally right, Chris, yeah. Is there a person or persons that has inspired you on your journey? Well, I mean, you've got to think your family members, haven't you? So my dad was, um, I'm adopted, so my mum and dad were brilliant. They really gave me such a strong kind of very, very uh, working class family in a place called Breakmit in Bolton. But they gave me a really strong sense of value, strong work ethic, but very grounded and rooted in real life. So my dad was a really strong trade unionist. I remember um, once saying to him, as little little kids do, I said, oh, daddy, will I ever be a, will, will I ever be a princess? And he said, no, and you should think yourself lucky. They're a leech on society. So... Now that was my dad. He was very, very hardline trade unionist guy. But 
he kind of gave me that belief in the in the people and the power of the people and the power of community. So I would I would single out my dad. It sadly died when he was only sixty one, so you know a long time ago. But his his values really stuck with me. Now, Donna, at this point, we turn to self-compassion and I normally ask my guest what their self-care regime looks like. But it took me five minutes to introduce you. I mean, do you have time at all for self-care? I love animals. So my dogs, my dogs, uh, I, love, I love them. I love spending time with my family and friends. And, you know, I really do. I think animals are brilliant when you come home from wherever you've been. They're just so happy to see you and... I love nature. Uh, that's that's how I kind of reconnect with myself and with my with my soul. So um, yeah, countryside is so important to me. So we've mentioned Radical Help by Hilary Cotton. Is there any other book, podcast, or video that you recommend to aspiring leaders? Yeah, I would. Um, I think a couple of other recommendations. I really like uh, Radical Help. I really like. Um, the King's Fund work on the Wigan deal as well. That's That's been very well downloaded and looked at and it's all free. The other book that I've read, which I think is great, and it really connects with um, with the work of Eleanor Ostrom, if, you can, if, you, if you're interested in this different way of working, very worth reading her work. But it's Sapiens. I don't know if you've read Sapiens, Chris. Oh, yeah. uh, the story, yep, the story of humankind, talking about how we were all descended from an ape millions of years ago who had two daughters one was the grandmother of all chimpanzees and the other was the grandmother of all humanity and it talks about story of place and how it's really important how communities have evolved to have a belief system that ties them all together and i think recreating that belief system is what we're trying to do in stps and ics's and in organizations in fts but also within local government as well to tell the story of place compellingly you know, with a, a very simple but compelling narrative that everyone can get. So the average reading age in this country is eight and people tend to overcomplicate strategy. So I think keeping it dead simple, really compelling and sticking with it over a long time period is so important. And it's all set out in Sapiens. That's by the Israeli academic, isn't it? Yuval Noah Harari? I can't pronounce his name. Yes, me neither. But it's, it's a really good read. <laughs> In 2016, you received the Transformational Leader Award at the Northern Power Women Awards, which you attended with your daughter, who's in her 20s. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I would, um, I would have more confidence. I think I didn't have any confidence when I was 20. I was the first to go to university in my family. I was really worried about that I, I had terrible anxiety I couldn't speak in lectures or in, in tutorials I was just really racked with anxiety so I think my 20 year old self I would just look back and have more confidence and more self-belief I would worry less about what people thought about me I would worry less about having a, a very strong northern accent and I would yeah I'd give myself a big hug terrific Donna thanks so much for coming on the show especially in light of the pressures that are on you right now how little we could have guessed when we put this appointment in your diary. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much, Chris. It's lovely to speak to you. It's been a fascinating insight into your world and a brighter future for society in the UK. Oh, thank you so much. Stay safe. Take care. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Compassionate Leadership interview. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me at patreon.com forward slash Chris Whitehead. 
Email me about the show, chris at danflask-consulting.com. You can find Compassionate Leadership, the book, on Amazon. And apologies that the audio hasn't been as good as it might be for this episode. It's a long story, but I'm blaming coronavirus. This episode was recorded in Bolton and Sheffield, and the music was brought to you by 96 Back on CPU Records.